3: Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DiRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott,
1: I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today, on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I welcome
3: musical collaborators Zoe Deschanel and M. Ward of She and Him. Plus, we'll review the long-awaited comeback attempt by Whitney Houston and the latest from Brit Buzz Band, the Arctic Monkeys.
4: Support for Sound Opinions is provided by founding sponsor Alltech Lansing and their new mixed speaker system, the next-generation boombox for iPhone and iPod, online at alltechlansing.com.
1: You're listening to Sound Opinions, and time now for some music news.
3: Greg, we said it the very first time we talked about Michael Jackson's death. This is going to be a story that goes on and on, and it has not disappointed us in terms of the shocking twists and turns that it seems to take every other day. This latest one is a bombshell. The Associated Press has reported that the Los Angeles County coroner has ruled Jackson's death a homicide that he was killed by the combination of drugs he had taken. Uh, As of this taming, they haven't officially said that, but the AP seems to have really good sources in the coroner's office. Homicide doesn't mean he was necessarily murdered, but it does pave the way for criminal charges to be brought in case the Los Angeles officials go in that direction. And the man they're looking at is Dr. Conrad Murray, who could be subject to a manslaughter investigation, that it was not an intentional murder of Jackson, but he contributed to his death by administering these drugs. Michael seemed to have trouble sleeping quite a lot, and uh, Murray was on board to drug him in order for him to get some sleep. Some of the drugs that he he took, uh, you know, were fairly common, Valium, Lorazepam, but the drug that seems to have combined with those and contributed to his death was called Propofol, which Jackson called his milk. When he really had trouble sleeping, he asked for his milk. This was a milky white drug that most commonly was injected into people to knock them out heavy duty for surgery. Mm. This is not a sleeping pill, okay? The question involved in this story is one of the timeline. At what point did Dr. Murray inject the drugs? At what point did he realize that Jackson stopped breathing? At what point where the uh, uh, paramedics called in. Uh, there's two different timelines. Dr. Murray's makes it all seem as if it happened fairly quickly. My client, my patient, is not breathing. He calls the ambulance. The other timeline uh, that comes from interviews with people who are in the household puts it at uh, an hour's delay between administering the drugs, realizing Jackson wasn't breathing, and then calling the paramedics in, during which time apparently Dr. Murray uh, made a lot of personal phone calls on his cell phone.
1: Bizarre, Jim. It's very bizarre. And as we continue the debate over who did or did not kill Michael Jackson, they keep selling him. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how this just happens. Court ruling in Los Angeles a few days ago basically allowing AEG, who was to promote that 50 concert comeback by Jackson at the O2 Arena in London, is now going to oversee the sale of part of his estate. There's going to be a memorabilia sale at that O2 arena starting in late October to coincide with the release of a movie that is also going to look behind the scenes of those rehearsals For that comeback tour. So AEG is going to start making money off of the Jackson estate very quickly. The estate is going to be splitting these profits halfway. It's fifty fifty. They expect to make at least six million dollars alone from the memorabilia sale.
3: Well, they had a considerable amount of money invested in Jackson's comeback, the Anschutz Entertainment Group. Yes, they
1: did. So it appears that they're gonna start making some of it back very quickly starting in October. In addition, the five surviving Jackson brothers, Jermaine, Jackie, Marlon, Randy, and Tito, are going to star in, get this, a reality TV series Wow! on
3: A&E. <laughs> this is not a good idea.
1: Not a good idea, but apparently they started filming this in January with the anticipation that there was going to be this tour, or this comeback. Now it's going to be a full-blown series. One of the producers of the series says to anybody that says the family is capitalizing
3: on Michael's death, it will be evident in the first episode that this is not true. Well, I'm sure that there's fascinating things that Tito Jackson does every day just to pass the time. Greg, here's some good news. New research from Northwestern University says that if you hear a symphony, like the Supremes, or any music, you may actually be training your your brain and your ears to uh, pick out speech patterns from complicated, noisy backgrounds. People who start, especially at an early age, either playing an instrument themselves or listening to a lot of music, have... An easier time later in life as they grow older in situations uh, like a crowded restaurant or a train, being able to hear other people's speech, which can be difficult sometimes. You know, we know this. I think we're both losing our hearing sometimes. But uh, (laughs) now it's saying, you know, hey, all those years when mom told you that you better turn down that racket, actually, you may have been doing yourself some good in training your brain and your ear to process sound.
1: Is Oh What a Night, one of the great doo songs out of Chicago, the 1969 version. It was actually hit twice, uh, in the 50s for the Dells and then again in 1969, the remake. The reason we're playing it is one of the vocalists on that track, Johnny Carter, died recently at the age of 75. Uh, one of the last living links to a great era of uh, singing, doo and the kernels, the groundwork for soul music of the 60s and 70s was laid by these doo groups out of Chicago in the 50s. We're talking about groups like the Dells and the Flamingos, of which Carter was a part, as well as the Spaniels, the Moonglows, the El Dorados. Great groups all, some of the most romantic music ever made. The music of the Southern Church, the gospel music of the Southern Church, uh, transferred to the street corners and singing about romantic love in a way that I still think hasn't been equaled. Um, Carter was a key part of that movement. Uh, as I said, he sang in not only the, uh, the Dells, but the Flamingos, which was one of the great groups of the early 50s. And one of his great moments that will play in tribute to Johnny Carter, dead at the age of 75, is his song, Golden Teardrops, on which he sings the lead vocals. Here it is on Sound Opinions.
5: Remember when you fell
4: from the eyes of my love. You make really me reconsider what a
5: fool I've been and swear to go a strain of what my. My memories. The reason you came was because.
4: end of time and throughout eternity i'll remember
1: Golden teardrops from the Flamingos in honor of Johnny Carter.
3: listening to Sound Opinions, and that is a song called Why Do You Let Me Stay Here by the duo She and Him. Who are She and Him? Matt Ward is uh, well-known in the underground rock world, great singer and songwriter in the folky vein. For this project, She and Him, he teamed up with singer Zoe Deschanel, who up until now is really best known as an actress, starring in the film 500 Days of Summer. She's been in Elf. She's been in Almost Famous. We had M. Ward and Zoe Deschanel come into the studio last year as they were promoting their debut album, Volume 1. Greg Cott and I are here with she and him, Matt Ward and Zoe Deschanel. Welcome to Sound Opinions, guys. Thank nice you. Nice to be here. Let's start at the very beginning of how this collaboration began. It's probably a story you're sick and tired of telling. (laughs) But you were working on a soundtrack for film, and, and Zoe, you were in the film, and then you got put together.
2: The director of the film, a gentleman named Martin Hines, he asked us to do a duet for the soundtrack, for the end credits. And so we got together to record it, and it was really fun.
3: So this is the movie The Go Getter. Yes. What did he know you could sing?
2: Yeah, yeah, no he knew I was a singer. I, I've been a singer for yeah, since I was a child and he thought we would sound good together and I'm not sure if it was Martin I maybe Martin told you that I had a bunch of songs. Was it Martin or did I tell you? Can't remember. I thought
0: you told me but
2: Yeah. Well, I had been Back a few years now. Yeah, it was, it was a
1: while ago. And you two didn't know each other before then, or no, no. I yeah. mean, I was
2: a big fan of of Matt, and I was sort of secretly writing all this music, and I had just like tons of music, and I recorded these little baby demos of them in the kind of in my bedroom, and somehow I got up the courage to send them to Matt.
3: So Zoe, you you can say definitively you had uh, M Ward albums in your collection. Oh yeah. And Matt had you seen? Any of Zoe's I've films? seen
0: Elf and I, I knew she was a great singer and I remember thinking that she was a singer and also an actress. Like maybe she already had records or something and I was surprised to find out that she didn't have any.
1: And, and the story goes, Zoe, that you've been writing songs since like you were eight yeah. years old or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Is that true? And recording them actually? Or
2: Well, um, I started recording, I started writing when I was about eight, but um, I started recording music as soon as the M-Box came out, which is like a portable Pro Tools thing, maybe it wasn't as soon as it came out, but it's, I got one in like 2002 or something, and I had all these songs, so I just like started recording all these songs and and becoming a little bit obsessed with it. And then I just had all these songs like in my computer that I'd written that I wasn't doing anything with, and, I just, and then they just started piling up and piling up, and I kept thinking to myself, like, I have to do something with these, but didn't know of a situation where I felt they would be properly represented I just I only wanted to put them in the world if they were going to be you know well taken
3: care of (laughs) so you didn't want to just float them on the net
2: yeah and I didn't want to just record them with any person I, I kind of knew that it would take somebody very special to be able to produce this music and keep the spirit of it and also make it sound really good and so when, as soon as i met matt i was like that's the guy to <laughs> i <laughs> if i get the chance like praying that that he would like the songs because of you know that was like this is this is the that's the guy
1: <laughs> that's cool well, we're gonna pick up the story but let's let's hear a song first okay.
0: what are we gonna hear man what what, what's up take it back a song from the record that zoe wrote cool
6: Ticket! I don't want to wonder Whether you care So don't try to woo me Don't try to fool me Oh, I know all your tricks It's the possibility Of staying in my corner
1: That's Zoe Deschanel and M. Ward of She and Him performing their song, Take It Back. When we return after a short break on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, we're going to continue our conversation with the band, and later we're going to review new albums from Pop Diva, Whitney Houston, and UK rockers, The Arctic Monkeys.
6: I'm all out of luck, but what else could I be? I know he's yours and he'll
1: back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. You're hearing a little bit of the She and Him song, Take It Back. The duo performed that song for us live when they were here with us last year and it's one of many songs on their album, Volume 1, where you can hear the influence of jazz cabaret. I asked actress and songwriter Zoe Deschanel about her love of this genre. So Zoe, you've got this sort of other side of your life. Uh, people know you best from the movie world but uh, you've been playing in this jazz cabaret project right and mm-hmm. it, that sounded like it may have come out of that experience a little bit that that particular song or
6: um
2: yeah I mean just singing standards for years um I love you know Cole Porter and Gershwin and Rogers and Hart and a lot of these great old songwriters and, and I think definitely that that song uh, I drew a lot of inspiration from those songwriters
3: well, that that uh, raises a question, Zoe. I mean, in um, almost famous, yeah, we were talking before about yes. uh, Cameron. Crow's I knew you were going to bring this up. Well, Cameron Crowe's <laughs> a friend of mine, and, and 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 you know, I know a lot about what he put into making that movie. Yeah. And you really got af- after uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman playing his mentor, Lester Bangs. You got the role, I think, that was near and dearest to his heart.
6: One day, you'll be cool.
5: I Look under your
3: bed. It'll set you free. you're the the sister who gives this kid the key to unlock his future in the movie with those albums. Right, ok. Right. This record will change your life. <laughs> who, in both of your lives, Matt and Zoe, did that for you. how How do you find Gershwin and Cole Porter, uh, or whatever it is that first made you fall in love with music, each of you?
2: Well, I think for me, like, it was a succession of different artists. I mean, when when I was a little girl, my mom had three tapes that she'd play in the car. It was was Linda Ronstadt, a record called Heart Like a Wheel, Mm. and then the Everly Brothers and Love and Spoonful. So, like, those three artists are, like, just burned in my brain. And then my parents were also always playing Bob Dylan, I mean, this sounds so obvious, but I saw Hard Day's Night when I was like nine, and I, I couldn't believe the way the music made me feel. Mm-hmm. It was like I watched it every day. I think <laughs> for like, months, <laughs> like whenever I was allowed to watch a movie, I was like a Hard Day's Night. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I think it, I was a little bit older when I sort of discovered the standards. Um, I, it was through listening to Ella Fitzgerald records. And Nina Simone in, in high school.
3: Mm. Matt, what about you? What was that moment that, that, that you had this explosion that said, yes, this is my life?
0: I don't know if I ever, I never really wanted to do this for a living, but there's definitely records that um, made me feel like it would be a a, a, um, a good life or maybe it would be a, a worthy way to make a living and hopefully a dignified way of making a living and, um, that I guess probably if I had to pick one, it would be listening to Johnny Cash records that my dad played in the car, and um, and then later discovering this guitar player John Fahey, and um, between those two guys, that that covers a lot of ground. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's for yeah. sure. You know, it's interesting too. Uh, the aesthetic uh, that you're talking about here comes across in the rec- the way this record sounds, uh, She and Him Volume One, but the whole idea of it doesn't have a fixed sense of time about it in terms of well god that sounds like a a 2007 drum sound on that record or that sounds like a you know a 1986 synthesizer this record doesn't sound like a lot of stuff that's out there right now it sounds like it could have been made in any era it doesn't have a fixed like stamp date on it was that something that you were going for when you recorded
0: the record absolutely yeah i mean i'm we're both i think bigger fans of recordings analog recordings than uh, most digital recordings and um we referenced and I've been borrowing production ideas from older records um since I started making records and um it's a fun challenge to um borrow production ideas with with respect to um the you know the geniuses that that discovered them and Hopefully, yeah. I think having a a record live in a in a place in time that's not specifically uh, distinct is to its benefit.
1: It's one of those things where, do you think about things like this when you're recording, Zoe? That, well, obviously this is a, you know first kind of coming out party for you as a, a recording artist, but it it's, it seems like this is the kind of record you could put on twenty years from now, and it's not going to sound. I mean, hokey. <laughs> you know what I mean?
2: The yeah, I mean it was all in the moment. It was very really fun experience because everything that happened was of the moment and it came out of just the spirit of making music and it was very organic and we recorded it on tape and we tried to use mostly you know real things as much as we you know as in like they're in the room you know like they're not digital but we weren't tethered by that idea we weren't didn't be like oh if we wanted to do something digital we'd be no we made this rule it wasn't we weren't rule bound but pretty much that's just where the tastes lay so well, and
3: the irony of, of recording it that way for the final version of, of volume one is that as you were working on them, I mean, Zoe, you were in Los Angeles. You're writing these songs. You're sending, Matt, your recordings up in D- Portland. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, <laughs> no. by email, you know, all which my, is like...
2: All my demos, I mean, I recorded... What's funny is that uh, all, all of my demos I recorded on GarageBand and on the <laughs> Pro Tools. So, like, mm-hmm. that's... I mean, I have to say, like, if it weren't for digital technology, like, I wouldn't... Being able to play with harmony is like one, you know one of the the things that I love most about making music and and I just wouldn't be able to do that you know I mean yeah. I might but it would just be a lot you know if it weren't for Last Paul you know yeah there you go it all starts <laughs> but, there yeah but um but yeah I mean I think that um the most hilarious thing is that the the we put a little sort of hidden track on the in the end of the record of uh, Swing Low Sweet Chariot that I recorded all all vocals on garage band like <laughs> on my computer like in the middle of the night.
6: Swing sweet low sweet Come for carry me. Home. Sweet love, sweet
2: And we had it mastered, and it it sounds like it's from, Mm -hmm. like, because it's all hissy. It's like the thing that sounds the most old is the one that's the most digital. digital. The most (laughs) new, right. right.
3: Why don't you give us another song, and if you can, illustrate a little bit about how that email back and forth went.
2: I think I sent them... I sent them to Matt, and it was like a week before I actually heard back. And I was like, I was like, the whole week I was like, I hope he likes them. And then I'm like, and I'm like, if he doesn't like them, it's totally
3: cool. Like, I'll That's figure out mean, something
2: dude. else. That's mean, dude. What were you doing in yeah. that week? I, think I, don't, he check, was on vacation I don't check or something. my
0: email that much. <laughs> um.
3: She's hanging She's on dying the other
1: end, and you're, you know. and you're like, don't check in your email. Right. Wow.
6: You're like, I was on
2: vacation. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Whatever.
3: <laughs> uh, well, why don't you give us another song?
2: Okay. Should we do which one? S- Smoking Robinson sure. song? We're gonna do a, a cover that we put on the record. Oh.
6: Don't want to spend another day. Oh, 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 you do me wrong now. My love is strong now. You really got a hold on me. You really got a hold. Said you really got a hold on me. You really got a hold.
3: M. Ward and Zoe Deschanel, She and Him, with a song that uh, Smokey Robinson made famous. Uh, it takes guts <laughs> to cover a song that's that well-known, that classic, and try to put your own stamp on it.
0: It's a great song.
2: It is a great song. I don't think we even thought about guts.
3: <laughs> Just we, we love this song. Let's yeah. celebrate this song. <laughs> you know, the
1: sentiments expressed in there are so complex. It's such a simple song, and yet it's a very complex song, you know. Yeah. You love somebody, but you don't like them, Yeah, which is like, that's deep. <laughs> you know? I, don't know. I think it's just a <laughs> deep line, you know.
2: That's like my favorite, I mean, it's my favorite songwriting, is songwriting that can can make something that is very complex, you know, can distill it into one line. I don't like you, but I love you. I mean, that's like a, that's a brilliant line.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, a model for your songwriting. I mean, this kind of thing. You mentioned Cole Porter, Smokey Robinson, Gershwin, all these people, these classic songwriters. I mean, and that can be daunting, too. Like, I'm measuring myself not against necessarily contemporary pop artists, but, you know, these classic.
2: I never, it was never like, oh, I'm going to write the song and it's going to be as good as this. It's just, I guess you always just, you know, have these things in the back of your mind as you can't stop yourself all the time you just have to express yourself and I think of songwriting as telling stories and expressing myself and in a way that is pleasing to my sensibilities and then I don't I try not to think too much about it other than Mm -hmm. that yeah
1: you can't I guess you know otherwise you'd stop dead in your tracks (laughs) now speaking of daunting challenges um the other issue that faces something like this is always that you know you Obviously, there's a certain cachet attached with your name, and you could have had, you know, Timbaland produce the record and you know, <laughs> competed in that in that marketplace. You know, and the flip side of that is that there's a certain element of the of the buying public that's very skeptical about oh, yeah. you know, somebody from Hollywood, somebody who's been in
3: movies doing
1: doing a record.
3: You know, sure. of, Everybody has to be in a box. Yeah. You know, she has to be in the actress box, and Matt over here he has, has to be. be in the indie rock box. Yeah. You know, we don't want you, you know, what are you covering Smokey Robinson for, dude? <laughs> you know, now if you wanted to cover, you know, Who's who, right. that'd be fine. But what do you <laughs> To what extent have both of you fought to get out of those boxes? I mean
2: Every, yeah, I mean, it, it. it's just sort of a, the society in which we live. <laughs> it's a reflection of that, that, you know, everyone does sort of get put in boxes. But I just, I think that if you don't, if you don't take those boxes seriously, because they're being an actor, it doesn't mean that you'd be a good singer or a good songwriter, but it doesn't mean you wouldn't be either. No, we, we, we've
3: heard Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan's albums. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yow yeah I mean so it doesn't mean you're good or bad and it's like this I think of as a separate career it's like I'm a different person in this arena it's like part of the problem is as as an actor you have a name that's attached to you the person that is also the name of the this product that you are which is like this profession that you have this sort of it's like you're a product and then I, as a person, I am a different thing. Zoe Deschanel, the person, mm. <laughs> is different from Zoe Deschanel, the actor. And so, I, you know, I, I it was important to me to have a different name on the project because I kind of, you know, wanted some separation between the two.
3: Well, and it's there in the very anonymity of of the way you name this project. Right? <laughs> she yeah. and him, him and her. and them. What about Matt? I mean, were you worried from the the indie rock backlash of M. Ward? What are you doing making a record with a Hollywood starlet?
0: Yeah, I've I've never been worried about it because the first thing I heard was the songs, and I knew the songs could stand up on their own, and um,
3: that it's as simple as that. Content is king, as they say. (laughs) She's got the goods. It's about this music
0: that's the way that yeah that's the way I saw it uh, initially
3: Zoe Deschanel M. Ward she and him on Sound Opinions it has really been a pleasure to have you guys here thank you
6: thank you for
3: having us thanks
6: for having us for those of you who try
1: To hear more She and Him songs, visit soundopinions.org. And to make a comment on the air, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. Jim and I are going to be back after a short break on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with reviews of new albums from Whitney Houston and The Arctic
6: Monkeys. So
4: Support for sound opinions is provided by founding sponsor Alltech Lansing and their new mixed speaker system, the next generation boombox for iPhone and iPod. Online at alltechlansing.com. Winter storms have come, and I can my son. After all that I've been who on earth can? I look to
3: you. I look to you. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. That is the title track "I Look to You" of the eagerly awaited, long time in the making new album by Whitney Houston. Greg, there is a whole generation now of pop and R and B fans who know Whitney Houston primarily from reality television, being Bobby Brown, which shared (laughs) her troubled home life with the world. She finally divorced Brown in uh, 2007, but not before a series of headlines, uh, rather tawdry headlines. She was busted for pot in Hawaii. She canceled at the last minute an appearance at the Academy Awards. There were heavy-duty rumors out there that The Voice... That was her nickname, The Voice, had been ruined by substance abuse. Now, post-rehab, post-reconnecting with her faith, post-Brown, Whitney is trying to rebuild her career. This album was originally supposed to come out in late 2007, a long time in the making, overseen by the man who first took her out of the gospel church and her roots in Newark, New Jersey, and made her a superstar, Clive Davis— It was an extraordinary career. I mean, that record-breaking string of multi-platinum hits and the 93 cover of Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You, still one of the biggest-selling singles of all time. Mm -hmm. The question is, people think Whitney Houston, and you might as well be telling people a Monica Lewinsky joke. It's a little (laughs) bit dated at this point, you know what I mean? In the new millennium, seven years since she's made a record, could she pull it off? Clive Davis put her in the studio and kept her there, as I said, for two years with a superstar roster of songwriters and producers. That track we heard on the way in was produced by R. Kelly. He helms two songs on this record. Other names include Swizz Beats, Alicia Keys, Akon, Stargate, Diane Warren, David Foster, the best talent money can buy. What does it all add up to? We'll give our thoughts and grade the album on the Buy It, Burn It, Trash It scale when we come back. But let's play the opening track first. Give it a listen. This is Million Dollar Bill by Whitney Houston from I Look To You on Sound Opinions.
1: with a track called Million Dollar Bill from her sixth album, I Look to You, and first in seven years, as Jim pointed out. I love that track. The production on there by Alicia Keys and Swizz Beats I think is exactly what Whitney Houston needs. I like her when she gets a little frisky, you know? It, <laughs> it, it often feels to me like she's jacketed on, on her albums. Yeah. She is a great singer, a great voice, who has never made a great album. That is a great track, and I think it uh, exemplifies what I would hope that Whitney Houston would do more often. Unfortunately, the rest of the album for me is a real letdown after that fine opening track that almost swings a little bit. Again, she is put into these straight-jacketed pop songs, these straight-jacketed pop production ideas, overseen, it must be pointed out, by Clive Davis, who has been her mentor and executive yeah. producer since day one, with a, a host of big names. There's the R. Kelly's, the Diane Warren's, the Acons, the Stargate's, the David Foster's, none of these producers bringing anything really new to the table it needs to be said how does diane warren get work i don't All understand time. it yeah. time after time she serves up this cookie cutter big schlock power ballad that houston even she can't seem to get her hands around it because there's not a hint of humanity or personality hmm. in it So, as a result, Houston sounds, again, somewhat robotic on this record, like she's being plugged in, just a pretty ornament no. on these modern production tracks. The one exception is she got one great song here. Leon Russell's A Song For You is an undeniably great song that those Stargate guys at Swedish production team screwed up. Like turning it into a <laughs> disco track about halfway through. I go, oh, it's not a
3: disco. What they, they, they happened? Kind of, they kind of lean toward old school Chicago house. I kind of like that track. Look, I am shocked overall that I do not despise this record because I hated Whitney Houston's records in the 90s. Clive Davis wrapped her in these big, fluffy, smothering pillows of sound. Yeah. And I got to say that for the most part here, despite all those monumental, very expensive egos in the kitchen, this record is not overcooked. The Kelly tracks in particular pare things down to just you know spare rhythm section and, and grand piano and I think pretty much from start to finish except for when Akon you know the master yeah. of autotune lends his vocals in a duet with Whitney who actually can sing uh, I think that it's all about keeping the focus on her voice the voice is still powerful it's full of emotion it's singing lyrics that are really corny every single song mm-hmm. on this record including the Leon Russell tune are about you know I've been through hard times I found my faith I did prevail all right you know it's like okay but I figured that would be a given. She doesn't go into the higher octave, you know, register that makes your ears bleed anymore. Uh, when, when she does go high, she does it kind of gently instead of, you know, bravura virtuoso. Mm-hmm. I- I'm surprised that this record doesn't stink. You know, it's really <laughs> pretty pleasant. Uh, so, on a buy it, burn it, trash it scale, not that Whitney Houston needs anyone's money, uh, I think it's a buy it record. I think you
1: gotta have that track, Million Dollar Bill, and I would trash the rest. <laughs> That's a song from the new Arctic Monkeys album, Humbug, called My Propeller, with Alex Turner on those coy lead vocals. Turner was a teenager when he turned the English pop scene upside down in 2005 with a series of tracks on the Arctic Monkeys' website that were spread all over the internet and made this band a huge sensation before their first album even came out. They were selling out shows, their songs were being sung out loud in the streets of London, and created the fastest-selling debut album in the history of U.K. pop with Whatever People Say I Am, That's What I'm Not in 2006. If you remember that album at all, you will remember it for that single, I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor. Big hit in Europe and the U.K., less so in the U.S., but certainly made their mark here as well. They followed it up quickly in 2007 with an album called Favorite Worst Nightmare, an album that did slightly less well in the U.S., and, and some of the buzz wore off a bit. So they took a couple of years off. They went into the California desert with an unlikely choice for a producer for album number three, Josh Homey of Queens of the Stone Age, an unlikely pairing that resulted in the new album called Humbug. Let's hear how the collaboration with Homie, famous for that desert rock stoner metal sound with Queens of the Stone Age, turned out. Here's a track from the new album called Crying Lightning on Sound Opinions.
5: Did you mistaken if you're thinking that I have not been called cold before? As you bit into your strawberry legs and Then offered me your attention in the form of a gobstopper It's all you had left and it was going to waste Your pastimes consisted of the strange And twisted and deranged And I loved that little game you had called Crying lightning, and how you like to aggravate the ice cream on rainy afternoons.
3: That is Crying Lightning by Arctic Monkeys on sound opinions from their third album, Humbug and boy, do I love that track. It exemplifies everything that is great about this record. The decadence, the wit. There's that Tom-heavy groove. It's hitting you like Sunday morning's hangover. There's that Snake Charmer guitar line, and then there's Turner coming in with these wonderful, you know, he's a graduate, Greg, of the UK School of Sociological Lyricists, started Mm. by, you know, Ray Davies and and furthered by Morrissey and Brian Ferry. Right? You know, he's talking about meeting this Lolita-like Lass who puffs out her chest like she never lost a war <laughs> and you know it's going to be bad for him but he's going to get involved and he's going to regret it this is an album about going down dark alleys it's uh, it's very lou reed in that way it's very much inspired by what i would call the warlock soul of nick cave mm. or scott walker it's a real departure for these guys they were all about that brit pop and dance punk buzz and now they're doing something different i applaud them for it it shows that they have depth i love this album this is an album to just sit at home in your dark cave and groove to and uh, i gotta say it's a buy it record Well, I applaud them, too, for making the effort. Uh,
1: They clearly needed a change of pace. I think they were in a similar position to bands like Franz Ferdinand and the Yeah, 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 Yeahs, who made second albums that were too similar to the first albums and needed to make a big change on album number three. Uh, The Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs succeeded more so than Franz Ferdinand, and now I would add Arctic Monkeys to that, you know, nice try, guys, but you didn't get all the way there category. I I love the idea that they worked with Homie. It It was a big risk. I love some of the dark tangents. That he brought to the mix But I don't think the songs are quite as strong I think by far the strongest track on this record Is one called Cornerstone That Homie actually didn't produce uh, It was done with their original producer James Ford back in New York
5: I thought I saw you in the rusty hook up in a wicker jack. I wandered over for a closer look And kissed whoever was sitting there She was close And she held me very tight I, so fully, politely, please, can I call you name?
1: otherwise, I think those songs that hung together so well on that first Arctic monkey's album aren't quite there on this record anymore. I love the melodies and the exuberance that this band had in those initial two records, and they've replaced it with texture and atmosphere on this particular record. And I hear what you're saying. Dark Night of the Soul, it's got that gothic feel to it, but I would have wished for a little bit more variety. I wasn't expecting a mood record from these guys. I was expecting a few more great songs, and I didn't get them.
3: I think the problem are your expectations there, Mr. Codd. You're down on Whitney Houston. You're down on Arctic Monkeys. You're just in a foul mood. I think
1: Alex Turner is a great songwriter, and I applaud the experiment, but he didn't
3: get there, and I'm going to have to give this a burn What do we have on the show next week?
1: Next week, Jim, in honor of Labor Day, we're going to do great work songs.
3: Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. She and him were recorded by Sarah Toulouse. And our show was produced, as always, by our ace team of Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn, With executive production and fearless leadership from Tory Southside Malatia. who, when I asked him if he agreed with you about that Whitney Houston review you just gave, said, Hell to the No!
1: Sound opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline 1 888 859 1800.
6: messages.
7: Uh, hello, this is Paul Simons from Levittown, Pennsylvania. I just want to say I really appreciated your appreciation of Les Paul, and uh, I think that hearing that, that he likes Jeff Beck and Jeff Beck likes him, the thing those two guys have in common, as far as I can see, is that they're really very in the moment. They're never on autopilot. They're always wide awake to some new thing happening, and um, whether it's some kind of a run or a harmonic or a a, a stop or a, an echo or um, just something that's unexpected. They're they're ready for the unexpected. Also, I want to uh, say that Jesus Lizard, to me, played some great stuff. I like hearing stuff that I can't figure out just listening to it that's, that's got some difficulty to it, which they did. Oh, that's enough right there. That's enough right there. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Uh, my name's Nick from Omaha, Nebraska. I just got done listening to the interview and my stuff with the Jesus Lizard.
1: I believe they're one of the most underrated bands and musically speaking one of the most talented, but lasted the longest. The that she never lived it makes me
5: feel, blank. It makes me feel blank
2: like
1: I So talented and the live shows are nothing
7: short of uh, what I would that are a modern day Bacchus festival that you find in ancient Greece. Really enjoyed it. Have a good one. Mary, Mary, Mary,
4: Mary. Hi, my
5: name is.
1: Dave Norman from Minneapolis. Just wanted to thank you guys for having the Jesus Lizard on last night. Those guys are absolutely insane. They brought back a lot of good memories as I grew up a child of the 90s, especially the song Bloody Mary, which I remember picking up the CD. Um, my grandma rolled into town that weekend and I recall she fell down the stairs at about 4 in the morning, cracking her head
7: open on a ping pong table. The pool of blood was terrible. My- get along with the story. My folks rushed
1: to the emergency room and I had to clean up a pool of blood and it kind of coagulates it's really nasty but song Bloody Mary was in my head the whole time and it was quite a uh, surreal, disgusting experience and uh, I'm sure it didn't compare it to anything of the carnage that uh, Mr. Yao experienced on a
7: most likely nightly basis and thanks a lot. Bye. Now I've been sitting
6: on this abandoned
3: Hey, Jim and Greg, this is Dan from Waterloo, Iowa. You are reviewing the new Regina Spector album, and Greg mentioned that he probably would never like to hear the song with the dolphin sound again. Well, I work at a uh, clothing store that rhymes with
1: gold gravy, and every day we play that song.
3: So um, uh, if you're shopping for jeans, don't come into our store.
6: Thank you. Bye. Maybe one day you will understand I want No more messages.
3: To give us your opinion on sound opinions, call our hotline 1 888 859 1800. We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.